Let's pray. Lord, in Jesus' name, we come before you in the name of Jesus, and we thank you, God, that you have guided us here in the name of Jesus, and that you have given us the comfort of Jesus, even during very trying times, Lord. Back 500 years ago, and even now today, with whatever we're going through, we have his banner over us. And Lord, we just pray for our hearts right now, that even as hearts were strengthened in the midst of suffering, back during the time of the early Anabaptists, I pray that you'd strengthen our hearts right now, though the world around us descends into wickedness in so many ways. Help us to be your hands and feet in this world. And I pray for my brother Mike especially now, that you'd anoint his lips as he shares with us what you've laid on his heart. Anoint our ears as we hear. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Lord bless you, brother. Thank you. Boy, after a <clears throat> testimony like that, I wonder if I should even be here. Although I think it really ties right in. That story right there is a beautiful example, picture of the kingdom of God's effect on people. And even, if you will, the advancement of God's kingdom. If you think about it, it's testimonies like that. God uses to advance His kingdom, transforming people from the inside out to the point that death by fire, let's go. I want to go home. That's okay. I'm not scared. I'm looking forward to seeing my Lord. That baffles people. Why not? It would. Oh, thank you, brother, for sharing that. That's good. Uh, I have not forgotten uh, about carrying on walking through the fruit of the Spirit, although I'm not going to go there today. Um, and I don't know why the Lord just kind of put this subject on my mind this past week and have since inclined to follow that that path. So, open your Bibles, if you would, to, uh, first of all, 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 8 is what I'll start off with here. And then we'll skip over to 1 Timothy Yes, some introductory verses. Second Timothy three, verses one through eight. Paul writing to Timothy here. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power, the power of godliness thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. Go over to 1 Timothy now. Skip over a few pages. And I'm going to go to chapter 4 of 1 Timothy in verses 1 and 2. 
Now the Spirit expressly or speaketh expressly that in the latter time some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. And now go over to Matthew chapter 24, if you would. One more passage. Matthew 24. I'm going to read verses 4 through 13. Matthew 24. Verse 4. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Well, first of all, let me back up one verse. His disciples are with him here. And it says, As he, as the Lord Jesus, sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world? And Jesus' very first response is, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up and be afflict, to be afflicted, and shall kill you. And ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. <clears throat> Pretty clear descriptions there of what it's going to be like at the end, the end of the world. Jesus said, what's the signs of the end of the world? And it's interesting. He gave what he called birth pangs. This is the beginning of the end, if you will, signs and things. But the, the main point I want to get at is that deceivers, false prophets, will abound. They'll be everywhere. And, of course, we see that today. And I want to talk about some, uh, some theology and some ideas that are being taught out there that I believe to be error. And I would greatly welcome input after... I'm done sharing here. I don't think no one's going to disagree with me, however. Um, there's a teaching going out there called, and some of you, I know you've heard of this. It's called the Seven Mountain Mandate. Seven Mountains of Influence in of Society. How many of you heard heard of that? Okay, heard some. Okay, that's as I thought. Okay. Um <clears throat> I know some of you have heard of the dominion theology or the kingdom now type teaching that's out there. I mean, let me see a reason. You've heard some of that. Okay. It's a theology just in real brief, and I'll get into a little bit more detail a little bit later, that teaches that God's people are called to basically take over nations and societies and cultures and reign in righteousness kind of kind of sort of by themselves, so to speak, so that the Lord then can return. And He will return when righteousness is all restored by God's people through a variety of influences. Um, I do not see that in Scripture. From what we just read right here, uh, I see actually the opposite of that. But there is a teaching that's out there that... uh, that basically says just that. And a part of that is this uh, seven mountains mandate or the seven mountain theology. There's seven mountains of societal influence is what they are. And they are education, religion, family, business, government slash military, arts slash entertainment, and the media. 
And just to give a brief overview here before I get into a little bit more detail is, is that it, it's uh, a burden, I guess you could say, of a lot of people that would call themselves God people that it's, it's, up to, it's up to us to take over, basically, these areas of influence in society. And through that, have the influence of righteousness over a nation or over a culture. Um, if you're scratching your head saying, this is kind of a weird gospel, brother. Yeah, I agree. It is. Um, the gospel is very simple. It's very simple. People are lost. They need a Savior. God sent His Son to pay the price for their sin so that they wouldn't have to suffer damnation, condemnation, and the wrath of God. All right? He provided a way. When someone chooses to repent and give their life to the Lord Jesus to be born again, He changed, God Himself changes them from the inside out gives them a new heart, takes out that heart of stone, gives them a heart of flesh, and they, became a new, they become a new person. And when that happens in a revival-type setting, stories that you, if you want to read them through the years, through the history, you can read where to whole towns got transformed because the people of the town got changed from the inside out. Not because, uh, you know, people got into government, got into... Uh, clubs and this kind of thing and started changing these facets and then and then revival came. That doesn't work that way. It kind of complicates, to me, it kind of complicates the gospel. It's much more simple than that. Thank God. I'm glad it is. So, I'm just going to read a little bit to you to kind of educate you. My burden is that this is out there and it's being embraced by many, especially Pentecostal and charismatic churches. And as we go out and as you go out to be a light in this world, you're going to come across this because this is a growing uh, teaching that's out there by a, a lot of a lot of churches. And there's other roots I'm going to get into in a little bit uh, after I just kind of briefly touched this seven mountain mandate. I went to a website called gotquestions.org. Had never heard of them. I just started searching for seven mountain theology. This is what I got. And I, I appreciated what they had to say. I thought, well, okay, this is good. I don't know if you ever heard that before, but it was in interesting. The question is, what is the seven mountain mandate and is it biblical? The seven mountain or seven M mandate or the seven mountain prophecy is an anti-biblical and damaging movement that has gained a following in some charismatic and Pentecostal churches. Those who follow the seven mountain mandate believe that in order for Christ to return to earth, the church, the church must take control of the seven major spheres of influence in society for the glory of Christ. Once the world has been made subject to the kingdom of God, Jesus will return and rule the world. Here are the seven mountains, according to the seven mountain mandate. Education, religion, family, business, government, slash military, arts, slash entertainment, and the media. These seven sectors of society are thought to mold the way everyone thinks and behaves. And the reality is, I can't, you can't deny that. It, those are factors that influence uh, people groups and societies. Don't, I mean, don't tell me that... The media has had an influence on American society. Sure it has. Okay, I, I, I agree with that. They do have influences. <clears throat> so to, to tackle societal change, these seven mountains must be transformed. My question, what about the people? The people are what need transformed. Does, that's what makes sense to me. That's pretty simple. The mountains are also referred to as pillars, shapers, molders, and spears. Those who follow the seven mountain mandate speak of occupying, occupying the mountains, invading, invading the culture, and transforming society. The seven mountain mandate has its roots in dominion theology, which started in the early 70s with the goal of taking dominion of the earth, twisting Genesis 1.28, um, where God's, he created everything, and he, he, told, he told man, 
take dominion over fish, birds. I'm paraphrasing here, but I can't quote it. Uh, and every living thing that creepeth upon the earth. Okay. Uh, and this is to include a mandate for Christians to control civil affairs and all other aspects of society. The New Apostolic Reformation, or the NAR, this is something different. I'll touch on this a little bit later, too. With its self-appointed prophets and apostles, has also influenced the Seven Mountain Movement, lending dreams and visions and other extra-biblical revelations to the mandate. The Seven Mountain Mandate says that it is the duty of all Christians to create a worldwide kingdom for the glory of Christ. Teachers of the movement use Isaiah 2.2, which mentions mountains, in an attempt to support their view. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains, will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. The principal goal of Dominion theology and the Seven Mountain Mandate is political and religious domination of the world through the implementation of moral laws and subsequent punishments of the Old Testament. Okay, so basically, if I read this right, understand this right, it's kind of like they want to bring in the law of Moses to be a law to govern the world and nations and societies and that kind of thing. And I'll touch on that a little bit later out of my own wrestlings and how I had to work through that years ago. Uh, guy named Lance Wallnau, W-A-L-L-N-A-U, coined the term Seven Mountain Mandate and its most prominent teacher. Wallnau adapts the missionary mandate of Jesus to his disciples to go and make disciples of all the nations into a mandate to effect social transformation. He reasons that since churches already have a presence in every nation in the world, we need to now concentrate on influencing the systems the mount or the mountains within these nations. The problem, according to all now, is that Christians are not currently influencing society outside the church. Christians have left the mountains susceptible to the gates of hell, which are spiritual portals over the kings of those mountains. The leading edge of the seven mountain mandate is the new apostolic reformation, which teaches that the church of the 21st century will be ruled by apostles and prophets. The movement is not governed by a specific denomination, but by the alleged apostles and prophets who, of course, claim to receive direction, direct revelation from God in lending credence to modern day prophets and apostles. The NAR denigrates the Bible and sola scriptura emphasizes experience oriented theology and promotes mysticism. And that is true from what else I have seen of the, uh, the new apostolic reformation. Uh, it, it is very much focused on your experience and not on God's word. And uh, that is very dangerous ground to walk on. Um, I've said this before, walking with Christ your Savior in a real sincere, with a real sincere heart of gratitude and love towards Him will be an experience. There is no question about that. There's no doubt about that. And it has been for me, and I'm sure it has been for any of you here that have walked with God. But there's a, there's a big difference between having an experience directly from God because you are walking with God and seeking God and looking to love Him with all your heart, soul, and mind. There's a big difference between that and seeking and experience itself. In its purest root form, that in and of itself is idolatry. It is worshiping the experience as opposed to worshiping God Himself. The experiences you have in Christ as you walk sincerely with Him will only point you more towards Himself and reveal more of Himself to you as you walk with Him. Okay, It will not glorify the experience and just make you feel good. Some experiences from God may not make you feel good. They convict you. That's from God. Conviction is from God. Thank the Lord for it. It may not be fun, but it's what you need to hear. And He knows how you need to hear from Him at any specific time. Make sense? I hope.
There's a fine line in there. You've got to be careful. <clears throat> okay. Oh, oh okay. no, I'm all right. I thought I missed something there. Okay. Lord, help me here. Okay, I'm going to share a little bit of some of the things that I had to wrestle with. And uh, one of them was probably back in the 90s when I was fairly politically active I was a good right wing Republican and uh, but I I thought about these things you know I I pondered you know okay well what does this look like I mean I'm a Christian and yet I want to see some good ideals embraced you know and uh, I wanted to see people at least live and embrace some biblical principles thinking that a society would at least have some stability if it would embrace some and live by some biblical principles even if they weren't born again and I do believe that's true and I give you an example let's say our society here once used to embrace uh, the fact that divorce is just no, you just don't do it. You, you made a commitment to your spouse the day you got married, and that meant the rest of your life settled, done. And divorce, the divorce rates were way down here at one time. I, can't help, I cannot help but believe. Well, I know families were much more stable back then. You get a list of some of the biggest problems school teachers had from the 1950s and compare it to nowadays... And you're going to say, this isn't any problem at all. Man, I wish it was like this. Well, look what our society was like. It was a society that at the very least embraced some biblical principles. Okay. I desired that back then. But I was wondering, how do, how do we get that? How do we? Okay, well, we must get involved and control the lawmakers. Okay. Friends, we live in Oregon. It's not Wyoming, okay? And and I lived in Oregon at the time. And I was having a hard time just kind of reconciling this. I remember, uh, I believe it was 1992. I'll say this a little facetiously. It's when I came to the realization that I was a bigot. I thought, oh, I'm a bigot. How did I come to realize that? Well, there was a a ballot measure that year. I believe it was that year that was going up that would, for the state of Oregon, define what marriage is. And they were going to define it as one man, one woman. Not two men, not two women. Not two men and one woman. or, or I mean, that's what it was. And the people, and that it, it, that ballot measure went down two to one. It got it got clobbered, which I, I knew it would. It's, that's where our society is. But uh, those that were against this ballot measure were very strong and loud, and were saying to those that were in favor of it, "You guys are bigots." I thought, okay, well, I guess I'm a bigot. I wasn't going to back down from what I believe in just because someone thought evil of me. That's the way it is. But, but see, I was going through these things and thinking, how does this work? And as I thought a little bit more, I thought, well, you know, if, if as a Christian we're trying to take over the government and put in laws that will be better for our society... Well, it makes sense. I guess the law of Moses would have to be the guide. And then I thought that through a little bit more, and I thought, wow, that means the adulterers and those that are having affairs and the homosexuals, they're going to have to kill them. 
Because that's what the law of Moses taught. And then I sit back a little bit more and say, okay, are you willing to be one of them that will pull the trigger and put a bullet in their head? And I thought, man, I don't think I can do that. What would be the right thing to do? Plead with that person to get saved. If they are on death row, you, you plead with that person to get born again. You're going to meet your maker pretty soon here, buddy. You need to get right with God. Wouldn't that be the right thing to do? I think so. But these are some of the things I worked through. And I finally, I finally came to the place of saying, this, this doesn't fit. It doesn't work. You know, and, what, and what God was doing was just gradually, little by little, opening up my eyes a little bit more to see what does His kingdom on this earth really look like? What is it? It's much deeper. Much greater. It's much more intense than what I was envisioning it to be. But these are examples of what... That's one example of this seven mountain mandate. You know, Christians, they've got to get in and take over. Take over the government. <clears throat> Bring in the law of Moses. <clears throat> it was probably four or five, maybe six years ago, I heard uh, a very influential pastor in, in Colorado, very influential in the homeschool movement, he actually came out and said, well, you know, if we're really going to take this seriously, and he would be a proponent of this theology. He must be, according to what he said. He said, we've got to have to just get right. You know, what, is, what does the law say about homosexuals, for example? We're going to have to just kill them. Whoa, buddy, are you serious? Do you mean that? And, I, you know, I mean, if I'd have been there, I would have wanted to ask him, well, are you willing to be the one to throw the first stone? To pull the trigger, to flip the switch, electrocute somebody? Are you? Are you? I'm not willing to do that. I don't think that's God's heart. I know it's not. But I remember that. Wow, do we really do that? These are some of the things, like I say, I, I, I wrestled with, and finally had to come to the conclusion that it doesn't mix. You, you can't reconcile. The two. And so, government, military, you know, what do you do? John the Baptist, remember, when the soldiers came to him and said, Well, what do we do? What did he tell them? I wonder, I would have liked to have seen their expressions on their face. Don't hurt anybody and be content with your wages. You see, he didn't tell them to get out of the military. No, he didn't. I can't argue with that. He didn't. But I wondered if they walked away says, we can't hurt anybody. Well, what's the sense in being a soldier? Good question. I don't know. I wondered what they would have thought. Maybe we'll get to see them in heaven and we can ask them, what went through your head when John the Baptist told you that? But that's an example. It's a different kingdom. Man, I tell you, I... Uh, and then, of course, you know, read the Sermon on the Mount uh, and, and try to reconcile this type of theology in with what Jesus taught right there. Uh, how does this work? Now, at the same time, I want to try to bring in... I hope a, a bit of a balance. Does this mean that we just back up and don't say anything, say a word about anything when it comes to government? I'm picking on government here. This is one that was very dear to me. I had to work through. <clears throat> I remember I asked this question at a, leadership, a men's leadership. Uh, no, it was, it was a pastor's, elders, church leaders meeting in Indiana. Oh, I've been 10 years ago. Because I was curious about this one issue I'm going to tell you about. <clears throat> back in, maybe some of you remember this, I don't know. But back in uh, the mid-90s, again, there was a, uh, a congressman from California that introduced a bill at Congress in, in Washington, D.C. An education bill that would have required fed, 
the sort of federal requirement of all educators, all educators, to be certified by each state. If it would have passed, it, it would have just devastated homeschool. Just, and, and a lot of private schools. But it just devastated, would have just clobbered it. And I remember uh, James Dobson got on there. And even some conservative talk radio hosts, I remember, said, you've got to call your congressman and say, no, 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 you can't let this go through. It's going gonna, it's gonna to devastate homeschooling. You can't let this go through. And I remember we did back then. But I wondered about that. Is there a difference with this one? Because I, I wasn't voting on anybody. I wasn't, uh, you know, trying to take over the government. But was it right to make a plea? See, and that's, that was my question. And, uh, I mean, they got, Washington got absolutely buried. Emails and phone calls saying, don't do this. And they rewrote the bill. And they took another vote, and I think that guy was the only one to vote for his own bill. It was like 434 to 1. Even the Democrats, you know, I mean, they, they heard the cry of the people saying, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And uh, it brought me some comfort because I brought this scenario up because we were talking about government involvement, that kind of thing. And uh, everybody at this uh, leaders' conference told me, said, I would consider that a plea, making a plea. And they would not take issue with that. Uh, you know, you can make a plea to someone, somebody in authority, uh, for a cause such as that, and they wouldn't take issue. So, you know, there are places in there where we can share our heart with those in authority without trying to take over government authorities for a, quote, Christ-like cause, for whatever it might be. Um, okay. Anyway. You know, I... <laughs> I'll make it a little... When it comes to politics... I, I, I know I have to probably confess I read the news too much, I'm sure. Uh, at the same time, I haven't voted in probably, it's been over 20 years now, I think. Uh, at the same time, it doesn't mean that I don't have people that I'd rather see get in as, as opposed to others. And uh, it wasn't so much that I was a little relieved that Donald Trump won the presidency. The truth is, I was pretty relieved that Hillary Clinton didn't win. Now, if she'd have won, she'd have been our president. Does that hinder? Does that mean God's not as big as he is? Of course not. But I also say that to say, kind of as an example that I think has crossed over too far, there's a lot of Christians in this land that really think that our president is the man from God to help restore America. And as much as I was a little relieved that he won and Hillary did not, our president is not a godly man. And don't think of him that way. He's been married three times. And he's been, and he's, it's common knowledge that he's had affairs here and there. And sometimes the way he communicates and says things about people, it's not godly, okay? He's not a godly man. He needs to get born again and get right with God. It's like the lost sinner, the drunk on the street who's lost. He's no better than that one. And so, but I, I see examples of, of Christians that just, oh, yes, this is the deal. And I think... No, guys, Jesus is the deal. Come on now. Who's our king? Who is our king? And what kingdom do we belong to? The kingdom of America is not the kingdom of God. 
Now, I will also say this, that when I see the advancement that the pro-life movement has made this past couple of years since President Trump has been, I think, wow, that's, I, I take encouragement from that. Some states have changed some laws, made it more difficult. Um, I'm hoping that's an, uh, an indicator of hearts of people. Um, but at the same time, if we really want to see abortion abolished in this land, let's have revival and get people born again and changed from the inside out. That problem will take care of itself. It won't happen. The bars get shut down because there's no business anymore. People get getting saved. They've got no need to go there anymore. Entertainments. And the and the business uh, the entertainment business, uh, hopefully they just dry up. We don't need to take over the entertainment business as Christians. Let's have revival and let it just just die. Okay, then let's go. We'll go down to Eugene Austin Stadium and you have to use that stadium for a, a church service rather than a football game. I think that would bless God more than anything, don't you think? Now. <clears throat> Again, I back up to the pro-life movement. <clears throat> Again, to share a positive story uh, that's come out of that. There are pro-lifers that are kind of in your face. A lot of them are Christians, though. And I know there are some pro-life organizations that their number one goal is truly to lift up the cause of Christ. And, and I appreciate that. Okay? How many of you know who Norma McCorvey is? Jane Roe. How about Jane Roe? You know who Jane Roe is? Roe v. Wade. Okay. Norma, Norma McCorvey is Jane Roe. And I just read a little bit. I, I know some of her story of how she got saved. I didn't realize she had such a horrific upbringing. Uh, just horrible. You know, she, uh, she had a baby that she didn't want to have. And the Supreme Court... I don't know all the details of there, but they ruled that, nope, it should be legal for a woman to get an abortion. And bingo, all of a sudden abortion is made legal in this land through the Supreme Court. Um, <clears throat> and she was the one, Jane Roe. Uh, terrible upbringing, uh, very confusing. She was a lesbian for a while, and and uh, but she worked in the... In the uh, Abortion clinics. I believe it was in uh, Missouri or Oklahoma where she was working. And the clinic she was working in, right next door, was an operation rescue uh, clinic, I guess you could call it. I don't know. Operation Rescue is a Christian pro life organization. The testimony, to give it a good one, Is that these people over here, they knew who she was. And she knew that they knew who she was. And they just loved her. They didn't look down on her, they smiled at her, they greeted her. How are you doing? Good to see you today. They just loved her. Finally, she accepted an invitation to go to church from somebody that worked over there. It was through that influence. That influence. That's the kingdom of God advancing influence. She got born again. And she flipped. She became active in the pro-life movement. And the pro-abortionists, they didn't like it. And I'm sure the devil didn't like it. I know he didn't like it. She died here, I don't know, a few years back. But it was a pro-life cause. But the deeper cause, the deeper burden that they had was they wanted to see people get born again. They knew and understood that this is the real need of people that they have. Amen. That's good. That's a good example. Um, oh, man. Jesus' message 
if you if you start with Matthew, the first gospel, the first book of the New Testament, and you, you care to look at the first words that we read from Christ in the New Testament, he had a conversation with John the Baptist. John the Baptist didn't want to baptize him. Understandable. But he did. And then he went out into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil, and he had conversation with the devil. His first public words recorded, if you want to call them public words, later on in Matthew chapter 4, I think it's verse 17, is this. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. First public words. Repent. And then later on down, a few verses down, he's talking to, uh, I think it's Peter. Yeah. And Andrew. His words were, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Real simple gospel. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Christ is here. The Spirit of God is here. He was poured down on the day of Pentecost to fill God's people. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is right here, right now. Follow Christ. He will make you fishers of men. Not of governments. Not of entertainments. Not not of... The business world. Hey, you're going to be in those things, possibly. Okay, fine. But uh, he calls you to be fishers of men. Whether that's active with your mouth, whether it's on your knees at home. Or both. Okay, that's the basic message. One thing I forgot to touch on. Now, let me carry on here. Later on, Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount, over and over again, he says, You have heard that it hath been said by them of old time. But I say unto you. See, there's a transfer. Yes, it was written. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Pray for them, which despitefully use you and persecute you. But I say unto you, he's ushering in the new covenant, his kingdom. It's different. It's not an earthly kingdom. It's not a worldly kingdom. It's a heavenly kingdom. It's a kingdom the world isn't going to understand. Okay. One more thing I want to touch on a little bit here, and that is... One of the seven mounds is that of the entertainment, arts and entertainment world and, and, and Christians taking over the thing. That's a touchy one. It's a controversial one. However, I, let me clarify. There's no controversies with God. Think, when we say something's controversial, it's because it's controversial amongst people. There's no controversies with God. He's the end of all controversies. He's God. His word is final. It's settled. Whatever it is, he's the end of all controversies. I've seen the Kendrick Brother movies. Uh, I've seen others. And I see their heart behind what they're trying to portray. And I, I have to say, I, I appreciate their heart. Okay? I appreciate the message. And they want to lift up the Lord Jesus. And I don't, I don't take issue with that. I want to, at the same time, there needs to be a balance there. I mean, let's face it. We could all live without a movie. Right? You think so? Come on. Amen. We can all live without them. But I'm not going to say God hasn't used these. I, I'm not. He has. I know He has. 
So then you say, well, yeah, how do you figure this all out? Well, we seek God and just walk with Him and stay near to Him and stay true to Him. You know, I remember years ago, oh, about four or five months before I got born again, and the Lord was working on my heart. He was drawing me. He was putting people across my path to convict me. And I, I knew He was calling me. And I distinctly remember, <laughs> I was a big sports fan. And my favorite baseball team was playing in the playoffs. And they just won the last game to go to the World Series. They were going to go to the World Series. Yeah, right on. And there was a, one particular guy on my favorite team that particular game that hit a home run that was part of the reason why they won and that kind of thing. And they were interviewing this guy. After, after I'll tell you, his name was Pat Kelly. Probably not a, not a very well-known player. But they were interviewing this guy in the locker room afterwards. Everybody's happy. Hey, yeah, we're going to the World Series. It's all good and everything. And, and uh, they you know, start interviewing Pat Kelly. And this guy gets up there and he just says, you know, I just want to thank the Lord for making me a child of the King. And I praise the Lord. I just, I just can't praise Him enough. He's good to me. And and uh, it, he went on so long that the announcer there holding the microphone, he got pretty dumbfounded. He's like, oh, I could just see him. Like, what do I do with this guy? You know, I don't This is put him on the spot. But I was at a point where God was working on my heart, and I saw that. And he used that to work on my heart some more. And so I can't deny there are Christian baseball players out there. I know there are. Um, I can't deny the fact that he, he can use them in that way. But at the same time, let's reach for God's very best. And I don't think it's the very best to say, well, I'm going to be a baseball fan. I'm going to be a sports fan. I'm going to just drink it in. Just because I saw this right here, it must be okay. You know, I, how many of you heard of Tim Tebow? We all heard of Tim Tebow. And from what I can tell, I've heard of him and his heart and his expressions. Well, he's probably a brother in Christ. I might look forward to seeing him in heaven. I'm not going to deny that. But at the same time, I also remember about five, six years ago, he, he did an advertisement where he, uh, he, he stood up somewhere and he didn't have a shirt on. And he's showing, this guy's a pretty muscle-bound guy, you know. And, and uh, what are you doing? And, I mean, it's just showing, you're, you're, you're calling yourself a child of God, and yet you're showing off your body. He says, what are, you, what are you doing to the women out there? I mean, that's not very fair to them. Come on. What are you doing? So that's, that's, that's the negative flip side, I think. Yeah, but there's good. Yeah, but. Let's reach for something higher and better. Hey, God's got higher and better things for us. Be thankful for the good. I, I think we should be thankful for the good, but let's reach for something higher, something greater, something better. Christ Himself. Okay. As I mentioned before, they've got this uh, dominion theology. Here's a brief description. What is dominion theology or Christian reconstructionism? Answer. Dominion theology refers to, a, and again, I'm going back to this because this is kind of the roots behind the Seven Mountain Mandate. Um, the, the Seven Mountain Mandate originated with Bill Bright, who was the founder of Crusade, uh, Campus Crusade for Christ, which... Hey, people got born again there. I'm grateful for that again. And also the, uh, the founder of uh, YWAM, Youth with a Mission. Got his name written down. What is it? Ah, come on. Bill Brett, Lauren Cunningham. They apparently had this vision from God that was the same and they got together and this is what this is what we've got to do. This is what Christians have got to take over are these seven mountains. <clears throat> okay. 
it's, it's kind of rooted in this dominion theology. Dominion theology refers to a line of theological interpretation and thought with regard to the role of the church in contemporary society. Dominion theology is also known as Christian Reconstructionism and theonomy. Dominion theology states that biblical Christianity, Christianity will rule all areas of society, personal and corporate. Christian Reconstructionism reasons that society will be reconstructed by the law of God as preached in the Gospel and the Great Commission. Theonomy is a post-millennial view, believing that all of the moral laws contained in the Old Testament are yet binding today. Although these might sound somewhat disparate, they have all been uh, closely linked together to the point that people often use the terms interchangeably. Those who hold these views believe that it is the duty of Christians to create a worldwide kingdom patterned after the Mosaic law. They believe that Christ will not return to earth until such a kingdom has been established. The principal goal, then, of dominion theology and Christian Reconstructionism is political and religious domination of the world through the implementation of the moral laws and subsequent punishments of the Old Testament, the sacrificial and ceremonial laws having been fulfilled in the New Testament. This is not a government system ruled by the church, but rather a government conformed to the law of God. Dominion theology slash Christian Reconstructionism is largely based upon a post-millennial view yeah, I'm not going to go there. Anyway, that's a rough idea. Christians are to, again, take over the world and bring in the law of Moses as the world's law to live by in a practical sense. <clears throat> Friends, you're not going to find anywhere in the New Testament that teaches that. You're not going to find it. It's not there. Jesus came to save us from sin, from death, from darkness, from the kingdom of darkness, and bring us into his kingdom of light to live with him and then be a light to this world. Uh, And his law that he calls us to live by, as you all know, is even higher than the law of Moses. The law of Moses is hard enough. You see, how do we do it? He imparts His Spirit and gives us grace and gives us power and changes us from the inside out. That's the kingdom of God being advanced. People being changed from the inside out. That's only the work that God can do. I can't do that for anybody. You can't do that for anybody. Only Jesus Christ Himself can do that. And that way He gets all the glory and all the honor. Nobody can take any credit for God advancing His kingdom. Jesus said, I will build my church. I will build my church. I want to be a part of Him building His church. Not me building my own or my brothers here building up Valley Christian Family. Well, we can do this. And God says, uh, no, you can't. You need me. I'd like you to come be a part of me building my church, but I'm going to build my church. You're invited to come. Come. But don't think that you can take any credit for anything good. It all goes to him. The New Apostolic Reformation, to give another little background here, is an unbiblical religious movement that emphasizes experience over scripture, mysticism over doctrine, modern-day apostles over the plain text of the Bible. A particular distinction of the NAR, I'll call it, are the role of and power of spiritual leaders and miracle workers, the reception of new revelations from God, an overemphasis on spiritual warfare, and a pursuit of cultural and political control in society. The seeking of signs and wonders in the NAR is always accompanied by blatantly false doctrine. I, I saw a video clip of uh, someone in a church, I think it might have been the one down in Redding, California, called Bethel Church, uh, where someone was giving a testimony about how uh, they'd been hurt by people in this church. Someone spoke evil things about this man, 
and he was talking to God about it. And he explained how Jesus spoke to him and said, will you forgive me? These are my people that messed up. I'll take responsibility. Will you forgive me? And I, brother, I'm going to tell you right now, God has no reason at all to ever ask forgiveness of anything from us. None. Absolute zero. He has never done us wrong. He has never done wrong. That was complete heresy. That was a completely off-the-wall, wild statement that I looked at and said, whoa, wait a second here. Uh Uh-uh. Jesus Christ himself will never have to confess anything to me and ask forgiveness from me to him. He's never done me wrong. He's never done you wrong. He's never done anybody wrong. That, That was just plain wrong. This is an example of some things that take place in this New Apostolic Reformation. Uh, I've seen video clips again of of people, uh, to give you an idea of what this is all about, uh, hordes of people on the floor in front of a church altar there, shaking and moving and wiggling and out of control of themselves, shaking their head, supposedly filled with the Spirit of God. That is unbiblical. Um, I was involved to a smaller degree in that kind of thing. I have been, I, I say this shamefully now, I have been slain in the Spirit. Okay? One time my wife and I went down at the same time and I hit my head on the wall. And I've told people before, maybe I've told you before, I don't know, but I learned something that day. And I learned that when you hit your head on the wall, it hurts. And I thought, this isn't the Spirit of God. So I left that for a reason. One of the fruits of the Spirit is temperance or self-control. The Spirit of God will never fall on someone. And then they are completely out of control of themselves to the point that they, they thrash and move and shake and quake. And I'm sorry, that's not the Spirit of God. Okay, This is a part of the New Apostolic Reformation movement. Um, there's a good video by a guy named Todd Friel. A lot of you know who he is. Uh, it's called Drunk in the Spirit. And it, he, he deals directly uh, with all what's going on here. And I, and I think he does it in a loving way. I appreciate his heart and spirit behind it. But I think it's also very good. Just as a recommendation. Um, <clears throat> yeah, according to New Apostolic Thinking, mankind lost its dominion over earth as part of the fall of Adam. So Jesus' sacrifice on the cross not only resolved our sin debt, but it empowered mankind specifically Christians, to take control of the earth. And it sees these seven mountains in which believers are supposedly empowered and expected to take and, and to dominate the government, the arts, the finances, for business, education, family, religion, and media. I know someone who is not even, does not even claim to be a Christian visited this church in Redding, California, Bethel Church. This person, I know personally, he lives down there. He does not even claim to be a Christian. He went to this church one time. Check it out. This is an unbeliever that came out of there and said, I saw the devil in there. And if an unbeliever can see the devil in there, I say, man, whoa. What does that say? So... um, like I say, this this is a burden to me because it, it. I don't know. I see a lot of people. From, more Anabaptist type circles that. They get disillusioned. They get wore out. And they start thinking maybe there's some life, over here. <clears throat> and I'm one to set, stand up and say, listen. I left that. And I left it for a reason. God can meet people there. He met me there. I'm grateful for that. But you've got to be careful. If you're going to be a true follower of Jesus Christ, He's going to lead you only closer to Himself. And He will make you look more and more like Him and not more like the world and not more like dead religion as well. He'll make you look more and more like Himself. 
But you've got to be careful. We've got to know His Word. We've got to know Him intimately. We've got to spend time here. Okay, young people, if you, some of you work long hours at times. I know that. But you also don't have families. I know that too. So I know you've got more time than your parents do. Okay? Now's the time to drench yourself. Soak yourself right here. Drink it. Drink it. Drink it. A lot of it while you can. When you start having, when you grow up and start having a family, your family will demand more time of you. That's okay. And that's right. And that's even biblical. We can, we can get into that. That's right. You should do that. Okay? You should care for your family. Point them to Christ. That's going to take up your time. But right now, while you don't have families, take the time that you can. Drink this daily. Every day, drink it in. Know Christ. Walk with Him. He will guard you from all the error and apostasy that's out there. Um, Oh, man. It's not about taking over the areas of influence in our society. It's about people getting saved and changed and born again and changed from the inside out. <clears throat> Jesus calls to preach the Word. Paul encouraged Timothy, preach the Word in season, out of season. Okay, Like I mentioned before, the two times we're supposed to share the Gospel, when we feel like it, when we don't, in season, out of season. Preach the Word. God will save people. And then He gives us the responsibility to teach them the things, everything that Jesus commanded. Make disciples. But He's the one that does the changing, the drawing, the convicting, and changes them from the inside out. That's the advancement of God's kingdom. One more example that I thought of. I shared this Wednesday night with some of your brothers. Roger, you had seen this little video clip. You heard the story, I trust most of you anyway, about uh, this lady police officer down in, I think it was Dallas, Texas, went into what she thought was her apartment. It was either the one right below or the one right above. I can't remember. It was the wrong one. And here she comes in and she sees this man in her apartment. She's a police officer. I guess, I don't know what happened. She, she clicked, automatic reaction, grabbed her gun, shot him, killed him. He's convicted of murder. <clears throat> I don't know, even know where this little clip came from. My wife found it, showed it to me. This 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 man who was killed, it was his younger brother, showed him in the courtroom after after the conviction had been handed down and the sentencing, I think, gave him a chance to talk and have some words with this woman. He said, I I don't want you to go to jail. I don't wish evil for you. What you need to do with your life is you need to get right with God and give your life to Christ. He said. He said that two or three times. And then he looked at the judge. He said, Can I give her a hug? You can tell the judge kind of hesitated. And he said, please. Okay. This young man went up and hugged his brother's murderer. That is God's kingdom going forth. That's the love of Christ shining out of somebody in the darkness. Oh, man, that's beautiful. Wow. This is a young man, probably same age, eighteen, probably young man. That's a man that's full of the Spirit of God. You can tell because the fruit of the Spirit is what comes coming out of his life. That's what's glorious and what brings honor to God. And I don't care what you say; you can take over governments, entertainments, business, any kind of religion you want. That is an example of God's kingdom bursting where rivers of living water coming out of someone to a lost soul 
And when someone can do that, I'm telling you, God will be honored and glorified. People will look at that. Like I saw that baseball player years ago and, and get touched by that and get convicted by that. Like, wow, that's got to be real Christianity. And it is. That's the advancement of God's kingdom. <clears throat> I feel like I just kind of scratched the surface on this. I hope I made sense. Anyway, but I appreciate you listening. And, and I really would welcome any input from your brothers. Um, but it's time for me to close. We're going further. Praise the Lord. Thanks for listening.